Brad Klein here for Renovation Report. We're with uh, veteran superintendent Peter Bly of Brooklawn Country Club in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. This uh, presentation is brought to you by uh, our sponsors, the Andersons Golf Preservation and Capillary Bunkers. We're going to talk with uh, Peter Bly, who's been around for quite a long time. You've been uh, head superintendent at Brooklawn for what, 41 years now? Yes, 41 years. That's got to be in the um, elite of all the uh, superintendents in the country. Uh, is there a, a key to longevity or is it just a matter of luck? The key is to be successful. By successful, that's the product. If you're not losing turf, you know, you provide what the membership wants. No matter what your opinion is, you've got to produce for them because it is their golf course. So surviving 40, uh, 20 different presidents and equal number of greens chairmen because we just went to the general manager's mode about three years ago. So surviving that is just taking care of them and the general membership and meeting that product, not getting too personalized in it that, that your feelings get hurt because somebody doesn't like what you're doing. Can you tell us how you uh, started uh, in the industry, how you got into golf maintenance? I grew up across the street from Concord Country Club in Concord, New Hampshire. We owned a farm. I was a farmer. For my first 17, 18 years, and I'd work uh, mornings mowing grass at the country club and then come back and cut hay in the afternoon. And then I got the golf bug, learned to play some golf and was playing uh, golf and working on the golf course at Concord and then went to UMass. And from UMass Stockbridge, I came down here and this is where I've been ever since. And you started uh, when at Brooklawn and, and in what capacity? I came as an assistant in uh, 19... 1976 and uh, came down because they were getting ready. They, they have taken on the hosting the women's open in 79 and the gentleman I came down to assist had been with them for 50 some odd years. I'm the third guy to take care of Brooklawn. Uh, met the two others. Uh, Rufus Knapp was one of the first ones and he was 93 when I was talking to him and he was still here. And then Frank Nichols was here as well for 50 some odd years. And so I was an assistant under them helping set up for the ladies open in 79 and then took over in 1980. So just to be clear, it's 2021. Your golf course has been in its current form basically uh, since A.W. Tillinghast redesigned it and uh, rerouted it and it reopened in uh, what, 1930? Yes. And you're the third superintendent since 1930. Yes. That's a pretty impressive record there. Uh, you then uh, moved up to a head superintendent, what, after the Women's Open in 79? Yes. yes, right after the Women's Open. And since then, you've actually not just been taking care of members, but you've had a couple of, uh, a, a number of uh, major events as well. Be curious, you had the uh, 1987 U.S. Senior Open. Yes. The 2003 Girls Junior. And you're about to have the uh, U.S. Senior Women's Open at the end yep. of July of this year. Absolutely. It's been quite a run and we've uh, brought the club along from maintenance in the 70s to what we're doing in the 2020s is a whole different thing. I mean, if, if four or five hours of time could span, I, the difference is that what we started doing and what we do now is just just so dramatic. But we uh, do things so much better now with uh, water management, uh, mowing techniques and mowers and stuff that, that we couldn't do years ago. So it's, it's, uh, it's a real joy to keep doing these tournaments and prepping and going into the future. 
back in uh, 1977, the United States Golf Association went around with a prototype stint meter to measure golf courses. And my bet is Brooklawn back then was what, rolling at about 7.5, 7.6 or so? At the most. At the most. We were cutting with the Toro 21-inch mowers at a quarter inch because you couldn't cut lower than that with those machines. And so multiple passes. We started a top dressing program back then uh, to top dress greens. And uh, it took a while, but it, our goal was to get them to 8-6 for the, girl, for the women's tournament. And that's about where we were. But it was a lot of handwork, big gang mowers, seven-gang tractor-drawn mowers on fairways. I think we had a triplex that we mowed the tees with. Other than that, everything was done by hand. And I mean by hand, hand mowers, rotaries. And there wasn't a lot of mechanization going on here uh, at that time. Uh, what, what are your target uh, speeds for the women's uh, senior for the senior women's open? The target speeds are ten to ten and a half. We've uh, the greens have a lot of undulation. Uh, there's probably two two spots on the whole golf course that the greens are less than two percent grade. So once we hit eleven, the whole golf course becomes unplayable. Uh, there's just so many hills and undulations and things that, that they gather speed downhill. The ball just roll right off the greens. Do you find yourself uh, essentially dealing with or compromising with members who some of whom want more speed? And how does that work out? Because your your greens, like you said, uh, are extremely uh, contoured. They're very sadistic. They're, they're, these people want more speed, but they can't handle it. And then if they're not for putting, they're not happy. But it turns out that it's just the rollout. If you hit a putt downhill and the ball doesn't trickle that extra half roll, they get, oh, the greens aren't as fast as they should be. But you've played here a couple times, and, uh, you know, the dramatic difference from downhill and uphill is just, you, you can't create that touch. you got to really hit it hard to go up the hills, and then you've just got to breathe on it to go down the hills. So it's, it's tough. But the membership always, this need to have speed just drives you crazy. But we use the undulations. We'll let the greens grow a little in the summer, and I'll use the corners and, They'll play a little more of the hills and they'll get a little more of the flavor that we used to have back in the 70s and 80s with slower greens where you could get a three-foot break and the ball would hang up a little bit here and there. And, of course, the holes will play a little different, but it's nothing like an 8-6 versus a 10. With these, uh, That's where these greens should be is like a 9, 9-3, 9-4 in that area. Um, it's probably a mistake uh, to generalize the membership because like any membership, it's going to be diverse. You have skilled golfers, experienced, then you have, uh, you know, recreational, and then you have hacks and egomaniacs and all that. Are, do you find that um, some of your members or more of your members in the past are a little more, uh, what's the word, knowledgeable or sophisticated about the complexity of setup and a little more accommodating? Uh, they don't understand that you balance the course. They don't understand the, the diversity it takes. It, it doesn't take an Einstein to make the golf course unplayable. Anybody can go out and set a golf course so hard that no one can finish. But it does take somebody that understands distance and handicap and shot value to set up a fair golf course that plays pretty similar every day so that you're not playing a super easy course or a super hard course all the time. You're trying to some of them understand it, but the age of Google and internet, they don't want to believe what they read and don't want to believe what they understand. They just think that they play the same, they play on a certain day and it happens to be the same day. Certain areas might be in the same position. They they come back and wonder why we haven't changed anything yet. We've gone through a whole setup process. 
do you find yourself um, coordinating on these things more with the general manager, the golf pro, the committee, or, or, or are these decisions that you can make unilaterally? We just make these unilaterally. We have pin sheets for events, but most of the time we're just doing all the setup and everybody seems to understand it. And let, you know, we haven't had any real huge issues in terms of that T marker rotation, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So just try to get the golf course to play the same on a daily basis is more of our challenge than it is to uh, have it play hard, have it play fast, have it play soft. What we're trying to do is soften that sine wave where you do some maintenance, it slows down, you're in primo condition, everything's perfect, but you can't, you can't hang on to that for much more than four or five days. And so having them understand that is more of the issue than anything else. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for airification, construction, renovation, sodding, sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. Now, you've been involved in a, I would say, a protracted restoration with architect Ron Force. Could you yes. describe how that process has gone? Because many clubs will shut down and rebuild. You've been doing it, I gather, piecemeal over the years. Yeah, well, it's the nature of Brooklawn. Uh, they uh, like to do things slowly. Change is difficult, and they do it slowly. They come in, and uh, we came up with a master plan with Ron in uh, 99. And then in 2001, we started it. And uh, it started with a lot of tree removal, moving cart paths out of the vision line. The cart paths were right up the center line. So we were hiding cart paths, new bridges, and taking some of the trees out and enlarging, not really enlarging, but restoring the green sites to their original size. Uh, it all come smaller by Mower Creek. So we started doing all that. Then the girls junior came, we had to stop. And then we restarted. We only, we got about 11, 12 holes in, and then we stopped, had the, the girls junior, and then restarted the process. And uh, the girls junior tournament as a byline, we had an irrigation break on the Sunday before the first round qualifier that just about destroyed our 17th green. And that sold an irrigation project, but it took 10 years to get that. We didn't put new irrigation until 2011. So even though it was 2003, it took a while for them to come up to grips that we needed a new irrigation system, even though the green had uh, just about been destroyed. We were here until midnight putting the green back together so they could play on Monday morning to qualify. That's always fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but back to the piece, man. So we were doing parts of it. We did tees, started rebuilding tees, relocating tees, building up tees, and then we got into the irrigation, and then we're finally able to do the bunker restoration. The sand in our bunkers had played out, and it was time to do something, and so we went into our present configuration, which took us uh, two and a half years of work in-house project to do all the bunkering, and we're still dealing with Ron and growing in long grass and taking down other trees. Uh, part of this is interesting, the things you don't think about on an older course. We never 
imagined it, but as you take down some of the trees, your fairways are narrower, your fairways are misaligned because you moved your fairways around the trees. And now we're trying to realign the fairways based on the fact there's no trees. And then we're dug in our heels a little bit and we're not planting any trees as of yet until we're sure this is what we want to do and this is the tree we're going to plant and this is where it's going to be. So it doesn't, we've had trees that we had, uh, you probably remember our 15th hole, we had two sycamore trees you had to hit between. I argued, I argued to take that out 25 years ago, as I remember. Yeah, it took us that long to get them out. I think we went, they went out 2017, 2016, we finally got them out. <laughs> but that's the classic picture of, of misplanting. Good intentions 50 years ago turned into, oh my God, why did they plant them here? <laughs> we still don't know why. That's one of those things. You know, it's, um, that's always the most difficult issue emotionally for clubs is tree removal. And um, maybe it's better to do it slowly so they don't recognize as much. Um, but certainly you've come a long way. The golf course is a lot more open. It's still treed. I mean, let's not convey the impression that it's, it's an Oakmont. It's still uh, tree-lined, but it's got a lot more space and a lot more under the canopy, uh, which I assume has helped to improve a, a lot of the agronomics as well. Well, the agronomics have come and the, the thing that came about was the fact that they, they thought the golf course was going to play a lot easier because there was no trees. And what happens is their ego gets involved and they start trying to make heroic shots from places they shouldn't be hitting from. And so the scoring of the course has been, stays the same. Of course, we have a few plus handicaps. We have a few good golfers and we have a, a, the mainstream, you know, the tens to twenties is the bulk of our play play here. I mean, it goes back to the course record here was Gene Saracen in 1938 shot 63. And that's been the low round here for as long as uh, until a couple years ago, a gentleman by the name of Kirk Hannafeld came through and shot a 63, just playing around with a member. So we've had two 63s, couples 164, and Doug Sanders shot 65, final round of the Senior Open. That's the par here is protected by the greens extremely well. Well, it's it's always curious because um, my experience is that a lot of times it's mid handicappers who think that or, or are afraid that the golf course is going to get too easy. Uh, there's a little ego defending that. But what generally happens, even if average score stays the same, you'll get more diversity. So you'll have more more birdies and more double bogeys that average out maybe the same, but you have a lot more options to play the golf course because you have different angles, different shots you can recover or try to recover from the roughs. So you're able to, to what's the word, to, to try a variety of shots that you didn't have before. There's nothing less exciting in golf than chipping out sideways with a four iron. Well, that's just it. And that's what we used to do because of a tree line. You get under a tree, chip out in the fairway, you hit it on the green, make two putts and go for your bogey. And so it was kind of benign in terms of that. But now, like you said, you try to work a ball, hit a recovery shot, you might be able to save par. But they're a little more imaginative in how they play the golf course now. So, so. one of the questions I have is, uh, let's be honest, Bridgeport's not the wealthiest town, in, um, certainly not in Connecticut, and it's had its troubles financially. Is the, is the protracted decision-making about implementing a plan at Brooklawn, is that a function of uh, economics and the region and membership recruitment, or is that more the culture of the place and being cautious and conservative? It's more the culture. It's always been conservative. They always paid, uh, generated funds, wouldn't spend until they had the money in the bank. And so we never borrowed anything. So it was, it's more their conservative nature. We only got to spend what we have. 
And so we created these plans and we stuck to it. And that's how they, they've operated for years in terms of that. Uh, most of our members now, well, in the years when I first came here, Bridgeport still had some industry left. And so there was people here from the Hubbles and the General Electrics were still around and things of that nature. But now everybody's uh, more of our membership comes from Westport, you know, goes a little further west out of Westchester County, Fairfield County. Uh, very not as many people. They were right on that Mason-Dixon line, as you know, is the Housatonic River, where golf changes dramatically in Connecticut. You know, you get a little bit north uh, east of the Housatonic, and it's a whole different element in terms of cost and playability and things of that nature. So, we're, we've been fortunate uh, this past couple of years with the memberships filled up to where we got a waiting list again. So, um, it's been been pretty active and pretty good. So it's. Uh, but the clubs very, always operate in a very conservative nature. Well, there's a lot to be said for that, actually, uh, because uh, it's less likely that you'll do crazy things like spend, you know, $6 million on a clubhouse renovation or something. I mean, the more careful you are, that, that probably is uh, to your advantage. Are you able to keep up in terms of uh, staffing and labor with the demands on the golf course now? Obviously, well, no we were, work. but... Uh, this year has been, uh, last year we did pretty well. Everybody was kind of here and it was nice because we're deemed to be essential. So if you could have worked at the golf course, you were able to come and be here at the golf course. And so we were able to attract and keep, keep people that wanted to work. Uh, this year it's been, uh, it's been a struggle. We've gone through, uh, to date, we've interviewed and brought in 60 people for seven spots and I only filled five of the seven out of these 60 people. I mean, it's just, wow. It's just can't find people that want to be outside or want to work or want to be here. It's just a whole different culture. College kids don't want to work on the golf course and the high school kids are got too much activity around it to, to commit the time for being here at six o'clock in the morning to mow grass. Labor's a challenge this year. Yeah. Does that change a little bit in terms of your thinking about the kind of equipment you're going to get as you plan for the future? Well, that's just the whole thing. We, we took on a commitment and this is some of the things that happened to, to everybody. We took on the change back to the old style greens, the big, uh, the greens go right out to the edge of the hills, the, the mounding and the precipices. So you can't run and we don't have a lot of room to run bigger equipment. Yes, we can mow once in a while with the triflexes on the greens, but you can't mow every day because you just wear out the, the corners and the collars. So we're, we are stuck with hand mowing. We have steep banks that have to be hand mowed. So there's a lot of hand work that has to be done, which takes a number of people. So uh, without going back and redesigning the golf course to soften it, to let it, to let us go into big Jeffrey Cornish type golf course, I don't want to go there. But, you know, back in the day when he was all maintenance, everybody could drive F10s around the outside of the greens. Uh, it's got to be... It's tough. It's tough. Uh, it's tough selling to, to buy equipment. Well, we keep buying the same things. So we buying triflexes to mow fairways and uh, hand mowers around greens. And hopefully we got bodies to run them. But that's really the only way to preserve the, the, the really gnarly character of the golf course in terms of the runoffs and the rolls and the very steep, particularly the golf course, you have uh, tight bunkers to the beginning of greens. So you have to really keep that perfectly well integrated you can't let that rough grow up very much otherwise you lose the integration right well that's just it, it and then 
One, it gets really tough. We've had a couple of days years ago we couldn't get to the mowing because of the weather. And once that rough gets up there, you get it's virtually impossible. All just disappears, and it's like playing the U.S. Hope. <laughs> hit the ball off the fairway, and you have to wonder if somebody stepped on it. So trying to keep the integrity of the golf course because it takes a lot of handwork with our bunker configuration and the greens configuration. It's it's nothing you can get away from. So you either plan for it or you just keep doing it. You got to doggedly stay after it because it'll get away, get away from you and it's hard to recover because there's no, you can't seed these banks. You're turfing and you're patching and you're just repairing them. So, you know, it's not like you, you get bear spot, throw some seed down and let it grow in. They're so steep that the seed just washes into the bunkers. So the handwork is intense. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Since 2005, Golf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit GolfPreservations.com or call 606-499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Um, when you're recruiting, you've got, well, how many assistants do you have? I have three. And uh, is there a lot of, I, I would assume there's quite a bit of learning going on between uh, what, are they coming off school or are they coming out of uh, golf courses? before? They uh, everything. So the last, the group I have here, one, one of the, most of them have been at other courses. Uh, one of them was, was with me in 92. Uh, Mike Sullivan was with me as an assistant and he was been a superintendent for the last 25 years out of Stanford and took an early retirement, but decided he wanted to still be here. So he came and uh, had a, I had an opening and he came and he's now back here being an assistant. So they come with a, a varying degree back when we were, when the assistants in the agronomic program were better. We were getting them out of school when we take people from school or even any walks of life. And, you know, somebody would have an intern. They said, it's real good. They give you a call and we'd hire them as an assistant. That's how it used to work. Now, the assistants are hanging in here seven to nine years, sometimes 10 years, because it's hard to move. It's hard to go find a head job. So it's it's different. And then some just get out of the industry altogether. So. It's, it's a difficult time in this thing. And I graduated uh, as a bunch of us. I think there's three or four of us that were still in it. My vet, uh, good friend, Ted Maddox, up in Vermont, uh, we talked the other day and we were talking about the fact there's only a couple of us left in, from our class still doing this. So, you know, but we think there was 42 of us coming out at that time. I don't even think there's three in UConn. I don't even know what's going on in Stockbridge, to be honest. Yeah. So you've been at this for a very long time. Do you find you're able to get away from work? Is that part of the key is, is leaving the golf course behind sometimes? Yeah, there's sometimes the key is, but the, the, the bigger thing is to recognize that it's a, it's a farm, but you are is growing grass. It's a farm. And uh, yeah, they try to trade it, treat it as a business, but my longevity is, is just to treat it as a farm. You know, it's, seven days a week then things happen all the time and you take your time where you can take your time to get away and do what you have to do and take care of yourself you know that's the way you do it other guys do it differently this is 
just my mentality when I've done this, but I think the real recognition is that you're an agronomist, but you're also a farmer because you're just growing grass out here. Are there expectations for a superintendent today at a club like yours that you'll be part of the, the culture, part of the place beyond just growing grass? I think that there's the newer people want you to be more polished. They want you uh, to be able to write things, you know, email, blog, you know, communicate with the membership uh, a lot. And they don't understand that uh, a lot of this is just hands-on mowing, doing work out here, not so much sitting in an office and writing things and directing people. It would be nice to have that, that number of people available to do that. But I've been at, never had the staffing or the ability to do that. So it's just kind of a hands-on thing. Yeah, well, there are superintendents who show up, work in a, in a suit and tie, and answer the phone on the first ring. So uh, right. I think they're all sorts. Well, that's what I mean. It's all sorts. It's what the club expects of the guy. You know, if he, it, this is what I, I took over. This is what they expected of me in the beginning. That They used to call the, the guy I replaced Farmer, right. and that was who he was. And that's who I, I've kind of elevated. We've kind of done a lot of things. I'm sitting here doing a Zoom call, a uh, conference call. And, you know, it's technology. you got to live with it. It's, it's, you know, but I still have a flip phone. I don't have a smartphone. I don't text. I refuse to do it. If you need to call, you need to get a hold of me, I will answer the phone on the golf course. <laughs> well, I can tell you're old-fashioned because, like me, you still have AOL as your email account. So Right. Well, I've that, put, part, part of that is historical because I don't delete anything. I go back. i got 11 years' worth of emails here, and I can go back and pull stuff up off of this account. But, see, if I lose the account, I lose a lot of history. So I'm kind of staying with AOL until something happens and I lose all my information. <laughs> But at the same time, there's a lot of technology that's come along. Moisture meters, for example, all sorts of technical advances and growth regulators. I mean, how much of that do you have? Do you find yourself adopting and embracing? Well, most of it. I mean, the moisture meters have been lifesavers, to be honest with you. I mean, we bought into it. I bought into it a few years ago. I have six of them. So I got backups. And so a bunch of guys go out and it makes it so much easier to hand water and, and watch the golf course because in the past it was, geez, did you get that green? Oh, I think I did. And it turns out no one walked on it or you don't know anything. Now you just go probe it and you can tell the moisture level. So it helps manage that. Uh, new aerators, uh, the 648 Toro came out. It's probably the best, best aerating equipment that I've ever had. I mean, we own eight of them. We aerate fairways, greens, and tees, everything with them. Um, and probably the most that everybody's forgotten about is soft spike. When they came out and got rid of the steel spike, what a huge difference. I'm all POA greens. Man, not having spike marks, having the spikes wear the greens out is a huge, huge difference. Putting surfaces are so much better since that that technology came out. I mean, the greens have never been better. I mean, That's it was a good immediate. Point. I, forgot, I forgot how transformative that was in terms of smoothness and roll and yeah. You know, people don't scuff around as much. And it's, it's just, that was, that was a big, big deal. But, you know, the growth retardants and regulators, we, we use a lot of it. Uh, fairways and, and fairways and greens were heavily regulated. Uh, consistency of the golf course, drought resistance, they all make a huge difference. 
So, and then just trying to keep up with the cultural practices, just because we're spraying doesn't mean you stop aerating, stop. We top dress every week and uh, you got to keep doing your cultural practices and keep the soil vibrant. The capillary bunker system keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels to eliminate washouts, soil contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. The patented capillary bunker system not only rapidly drains rain from storms, but also moves moisture back up to the bunker sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, visit capillarybunkers.com. Are you seeing any changes in utilization with respect to, say, uh, motorized carts? I gather last year in particular, there was a bit of a shift that at a lot of private clubs were, were uh, if not embracing, allowing pull carts, for example, and encouraging walking. Brooklyn's always had a vibrant and large caddy force, and so there's always been a lot of walking. Uh, last couple of years, they re- resisted it, but finally came about. We came to pull carts. Pull carts were allowed last year, but now they're back into their corral, into their time slots, because uh, they want to keep the caddies going. And there's a lot more. There's a younger crowd, and people are walking more. This is a very difficult golf course to walk because of the hills, the eighth yeah. hole, the thirteenth hole. And if it's 85 degrees, you're going up eight, and then you 13 will just about take your breath away coming up there in the afternoon. So, you know, it's it's not as easy a saunter pushing a cart around as people think it is. So they they do it for a while, and then they move either to the caddy or they move back to the ga- uh, electric carts if that's what they need. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great that you have a caddy program active. It's uh, it's getting tougher and tougher given state regulations and uh, insurance well, requirements. Right. We think there's about 120 caddies to get out on a real regular basis. Yeah, and, yeah, and so. I gather they're they're generally high school rather than uh, senior adult professionals as well. Uh, there's a, a group of what they call pros that are here, but uh, most of them are, are the high school college kids. Uh, the club is very proud as we all are that this is one of the first clubs in the east uh in the east coast to have evan scholarship uh, scholars uh, we have four or five that are evan scholars now that come out of the caddy program here and are part of it so we're one of the first clubs in this section of the country to get an evan scholar it was mostly a midwest thing and they've worked really hard at getting that program up and running here at the club so we have a lot of good a good money available for the caddies and good scholarship programs for the caddies. So that's really helped keep them, the high school and college kids in, in here. And, uh, you know, we, in the off seasons, yeah, we'll take any caddy we can, which is the pros. We'll show up and run some loops. How long are you, do you think about staying there? Uh, obviously you've, uh, you can pick and choose now. You're yeah. It's just, uh, it feels good. Still like getting up in the morning, have, don't have any plans that need to do. Uh, just uh, thinking to just keep going until I don't want to go anymore. Until uh, Hopefully it isn't until I can't go anymore, but just one day I say, well, I've had enough. It's time to move on. Yeah. Right now I feel like I did 20 years ago. Feels good to get up. Love coming here. It, it also must be interesting to have the challenge of a national championship. That Obviously not every superintendent gets to do that. You're going to have your – you'll be overseeing your, your, fourth, your third one now. 
uh, what is that like and what's it like working with the USGA? Well, it's changed a lot. Uh, the USGA takes on a lot of responsibility that the, the club and myself used to take on. In 87, I can remember we had to worry about coolers and trash hauling and ropes and a whole bunch of things where scoreboards are. They're coming in on this and it's, they have subcontractors and they handle all this. All you got to do on this term is maintain the golf course and get the golf course ready for them. And that's it. Uh, they take care of where, you know, trash, portalettes, concessions. They're doing the scoreboards. We have nothing to do except that. That's a good spot. That, there's no irrigation. That's the extent of it. So this is a real, really a, a lot simpler and a lot neater job for us anyways than on the golf course side. So that, that makes, it's been a huge change ever since I guess we went to Shinnecock and started running the tournaments. They've, they've got a handle on it and they do a great job. This thing has been pretty seamless. You know, I, to be honest with you, they came out walk the golf course in April and I'm not going to see him until the end of this month. So I haven't had any contact with anybody from the USGA. No, well, must mean you're doing something right. Well, something's going right. We'll see what happens in June. In June. So and what kind of golf course can we expect to see? I, I gather some of it will be televised. Is that right? Yeah, they're live. They're planning on being live on golf channels, uh, seventh through 18th holes. Uh, so NBC and golf channel are televising it again, set up to do that. Uh, Hopefully, it's, it's going to be around a 6,000-yard golf course, and uh, hopefully uh, they'll shoot around par. Hopefully, it's regulated. You know, They want to get the ladies to be shooting around par. We'll see what happens. I don't think if the weather's bad or extremely hot, it could change dramatically how the place reacts and how they play, too, because it could be tough to get around here. And I assume a lot of the attention will be on Annika Sorenstam, who's going to make her debut or um, what's the word? A comeback, if you will. Uh, well, that's what they're doing. I don't know. Have you seen the blip? They've done some shorts saying that, that she's there. We got her the end of the month. I think she practiced around correlating with the press conference. Because we still don't know today, as of today, whether we have gallery or not. And it might be that decision will be made then at that point in time. Right. But you've got a big press event and a preview day uh, scheduled for June 22nd, I believe. Yeah, I think that's the coming out party. Right. So to find out her, to, to advertise her presence and to advertise whether we got spectator traffic, whether we're going to let the general public come. Is that a function of the USGA or the state uh, of Connecticut in terms of allowing gatherings like that? I think it has what the state, they were waiting on what the state was going to do and how the state was reacting. So it, it looks positive. I don't know what TPC was doing. I think they're going with 25, 30% capacity up you there. Mean for the, tra- the PGA Tours Travelers Championship. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they, they're they're going that well. They're in that week that we're talking about the press conference. I think, aren't they? That's correct. Yeah, they're uh, the week after the U.S. Open, and they've got a very right. good field too. So they're yeah, hoping they got, for a, a crowd. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know what their numbers were going to be in terms of that, but I heard I heard it. I don't know exactly, but I thought it was around 25, 30 percent of their total capacity where they were coming with. They might be higher than that, but mm-hmm. I think they're working off of that. But I think the state is running a lot of this versus. The USGA, they're kind of leaning on them to say it's safe, and then they'll go from there. Well, the atmosphere at a senior women's open is very uh, traditional in the sense that there's no ropes. People wander around uh, on their own. And I, I know when they first had it in Chicago, a few Chicago Golf Club, I think three years ago, uh, essentially there were about 2,000 people there in a very um, informal kind of atmosphere. So it's a very untraditional major, in that sense, very, uh, very enjoyable. 
Well, that's what we're hoping. They, they're roping a little bit around the tees, a little bit around the greens for safety. Uh, so somebody just doesn't wander across a green or a tee while they're hitting. But as I understand just what you said, you can walk down the fairways with them as they're playing. And it's going to be kind of fun. But they're hoping if they open it up that we get maybe three to 4,000 a day. It might be nice. Well, Peter Bly, I want to thank you for your time. This is a, it's a, it's a real honor to speak to someone who's uh, been around that long and uh, uh, keep staying ahead of the members in the process. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for the kind words. Thank you for the opportunity.